Well, good evening. My name's Zach. I'm part of the staff team here at Central, and um, we're going to take this next little while to just continue sitting in the same place, um, so continue to invite God to be with us. And we're not switching that off. We're not closing down the work that God's doing as we shift. In fact, we want to open ourselves up more to it. So just invite you to keep, even if it feels a bit uncomfortable, to continue to be present in this space, um, not to rush ahead, not to think about what's next. I'm going to sip on very sugary milk juice every now and then because I've got a bit of a sore throat, but it seems to help a little bit. So we're into week, week three of Advent, and we're continuing to follow through Isaiah 61 this month, um, which isn't your classic Advent reading. But when you use, see how Jesus uses it at the start of his ministry, as Alistair talked about last week, um, you realize that actually it's, it's such an important one for us to read because at Christmas we remember the fact that Jesus has come. And the thing that Jesus says about himself is, Isaiah 61 is why I've come. And so he wanted to reflect on what it is he says about himself, the reason why he's here. And so I'm going to read Isaiah 61 again. We've read it for the last few weeks, but I want to read it again to us. It's just from verse 1 to 3. It says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And the part that I want to focus on tonight is just that last section of the reading. Because in amongst this declaration of freedom and justice and restoration, we have a promise that Jesus offers us that's right at the heart of his ministry of why he has come. One of the reasons that the Son of God put on flesh and dwelt among us was to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve. And Naomi mentioned earlier that tonight's gathering is called Blue Christmas, and this is not just something we've come up with ourselves. It's something which um, churches all around the world do as a way of marking the fact that Christmas isn't the easiest time of year, as we've already been hearing. Well, for some of us, we maybe do look forward to everything that Christmas offers, all of the festivities, each element, maybe the winter markets, the Christmas carols, spending time with family. Maybe for us, everything is positive as it relates to Christmas. But we recognize that for others, it's a time which reminds us of people we have loved and lost. Or for some, it's a reminder of past hurt and our own story. Or maybe even it's a present tricky time of year because of family dynamics that we know we're going back to. I, actually, I wonder actually that for most of us, Christmas is some kind of combination of both. <laughs> it's some mixture of the joys and the grief and struggle. I know that's the case in my own experience. Christmas is a time of real thankfulness for me and rest with my family, but it's also a time where I'm reminded afresh of the people that I have loved and miss. Um, Maybe that because they have died or because um, they're really far away and I'm not going to see them. So if you can relate to any of that and you find yourself somewhere in that middle ground, then I just want to reassure you that Christmas isn't just for all those people who absolutely love Christmas and talk about it from the middle of the year and who put up the Christmas tree at the start of November and who listen to Michael Bublé on repeat for three months. 
this, this doesn't need to be your reality in order for Christmas to be for you. <laughs> you know, it doesn't need to be all about Michael Bublé stuff. In fact, the Christmas message has very little to do with a lot of the stuff that we um, kind of hold dear, a lot of the traditions that we carry at this time of year. It's a bit like having a side salad at a Christmas dinner. You could have one there. It's not really the reason why you're eating Christmas dinner. <laughs> uh, some people might even question why there's a salad there. It's just, just like a token gesture to be healthy when you're clearly not going to eat most, much of that. That's kind of, kind of the way that I would approach some of those traditions that we carry. Because the Christmas story is so much wider and it encompasses each and every one of us. It's a rhythm in our year which actually dates back to the 4th century, and it was given to us by the early church as a way of reminding us every year of an event in history which changed history forevermore. As Matthew 1, verse 23 says, quoting Isaiah, Behold, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The declaration at the birth of Jesus is a declaration over all of the created world. It says, Emmanuel, God is in your midst. And that's for everything. That's for every circumstance. That's for all of us. Sometimes that message does look like joyful proclamation. Sometimes it is a, Emmanuel, God is with us. Sometimes it is that because the message of Christmas is something which should stir joy in us. It should stir up deep wells of joy in us as we remember the salvation is offered to us, the way that Jesus has lived and died and risen for us, the fact that God, the Creator God, has come close and dwells with us. But at other times, this same message is something we whisper in the darkness. It's a light which stubbornly refuses to go out. And in the midst of that place, we can still whisper, Emmanuel, God, is with us. In the aftermath of 9-11, there were a number of theologians who took some time to write about how we might respond to this, um, how our faith, how we can continue to carry faith in the midst of deep trauma and grief. Um, I did a course at uni which kind of focused on reading on some of those different responses. And there's one that really stood out to me, which was by the then Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, called Rowan Williams. And he wrote a book called Writings in the Dust. And in it, he says that of the way that we often respond is by asking questions. There's different questions that we ask. And there's some questions which we'll never know the answers to, and actually trying to pursue those answers won't really get us to a very helpful place. But there are other questions which open us up to the potential that God is at work around us. One of the questions that we might ask is why? That's what he says. Why did this happen? Why did you allow this? God, why didn't you intervene? Maybe that might feel like a familiar question to some of us. Maybe it's a question we find ourselves asking in the last year or so. Why, God, do I find myself here? If that is you, then uh, what we find through Scripture is that ordinary people regularly ask God that question. It's the Psalms are filled with people asking God the question, why has this happened? Often it's not filled with answers to that question, but I think what that tells us is that God is big enough to, to hear it. In fact, I would say that it's the very best place that we could bring that kind of question is to God. He's big enough 
Otherwise, we wouldn't find it in Scripture. We wouldn't see people over and over again bring it before him. And so maybe the first thing I wanted to say is just as maybe an encouragement to you that if, if you have been kind of secretly asking yourself that question, why, um, then, I, then the very best place you could bring that to is God. He's big enough to receive it. You don't need to hide it. You maybe don't, you don't need to feel as if you need to approach God with specific language or the ways that you hear other people talking to God. If the question you want to ask him is why, then, then God is big enough to hear it. And maybe that's all that you need to hear tonight. Maybe that's a question you've been avoiding considering. And that actually maybe that's a question that God wants you to ask him tonight. If that is you, then um, we'd, and we'd, we'd love to pray for you at the end if that is something which you'd like to journey with others through. So please do come and get prayer. But as we continue, and, and as I continue reading, reading through some of Rome Williams' writings, the second question that he suggests that lots of us ask after why is where. And he says that actually the question where is a really good question to ask. Because if we get too caught up in the why question, we try to answer it, then what happens is we find ourselves in quite an unhelpful place. An example of that is the book of Job, which Naomi was referencing earlier on. The start of the book, it shows an incredible example of friends coming together and sitting in a place of silence, of just allowing some questions to remain unanswered. But then the rest of the book of Job, if you've read it before, essentially is their friends then getting it wrong over and over as they try to answer the question as to why something's happened. To the extent then that you have the, right at the end of it that um, God intervenes and says, look, you're getting this completely wrong. You've got me wrong. You've got Job wrong. <laughs> this is who I am. Asking God why is good and right, but we won't, <laughs> we won't know the answer to that question in our lifetime. But when we ask the question, where, where are you, God? it opens up the possibility that maybe God is at work around us. Maybe in places that we haven't expected to see him. Maybe he might be at work in the midst of everything. And actually, when we reflect on the season of Advent and Christmas, that, that is what the, the Christmas message is. That's what Emmanuel means. Where is God? He is present through the concrete flesh and blood coming of Jesus. The message of the incarnation is that God is here. God has come. And that's not something we can explain away. That's not just a temporary fleeting sense of his presence. That's something which is unavoidable. It's something we remind ourselves of each year. God is with us. No matter where you are, no matter how you're feeling, that remains true. The Son of God put on flesh and dwells among us. Jesus is with us in every moment. Last year we invited someone called Alan Emerson to come and speak at Central, and some of you might have heard his sermon, his sermon when he spoke, and so a lot of you might have read his book called Luminous Dark, which is an incredible book which deals with questions of faith and grief. Um, and in it, so if you don't know some of his story, um, he was newly wed to um, was wife at the time, and uh, she was diagnosed with cancer and died when they were both very young, both in their 20s. And so the book is him processing uh, how he related to God through that, how he responded to that. And he wrote this when he was in the midst of reflecting on where God was. 
He says, not only are we image bearers of the one Jesus who suffers loss with us, a non-forsaken companion for the dark days, we also have a forerunner who has moved through a mysterious and monumental intensity of darkness we cannot comprehend. We have someone who has moved through a mysterious and monumental intensity of darkness we cannot comprehend. And so what he's saying is, Jesus has already been where we are. That doesn't undermine or dismiss where we, have, where we are or how we're currently feeling, but it does mean that the presence of Jesus, the, the call of Emmanuel, God with us, is a knowing presence. He gets it. He gets it. In fact, he's been to darker places even than we have, even than we could proper, ever possibly imagine. Jesus has been where you are, and he is with us where we are. That's part of the message of Christmas. That's what Emmanuel means. It's not just for the good stuff. It's in every part of our lives. God is with us. So lastly, if we thought about the question why and where, another question that we might ask is what? What are you doing? And I think that's where Isaiah 61 is such a helpful explanation and expression of what Jesus is doing. What is he up to? Or if we read Isaiah 61, it says this. First, he's comforting those who mourn. And there's Nick Blair, who's someone, a part of our church family, said this about this word comfort, um, which we find in the book of Isaiah quite regularly. We've kind of started to kind of treat that word as if it's a negative thing, like it's relating to soft furnishings or when someone chooses to not kind of stretch themselves, you know. But the word comfort, as we find it here, is actually referring to strengthening. It's a word which means to be surrounded like a fortress. And so when it says that Jesus is going to come to comfort those who mourn, it means that he is coming around us to give us strength when we don't feel like we have any left, to surround us when we feel like we don't know whether we can keep going. And actually, we see that kind of invitation regularly in Jesus' ministry, particularly in Matthew 11, which we'll know well when he invites us to take on his yoke and his burden it's a way of saying, I will carry you through the stuff that is unbearable for you to carry on your own. So that's the first thing that Jesus offers us. And you might have experienced some of that in your own life story of that comforting presence which brought strength when you're like, I don't really know what I'm going to do next. I don't really know how to go on. And the second thing that Isaiah 61 says is that, that Jesus provides for those of us who grieve. He provides for those of us who grieve. Lots of you will know some of my story because I've shared it a few times in the last few years. Um, but it, I lost my dad at a very young age. I was about two years old. And a significant part of my childhood was processing the, that loss as a, with my family, um, all of us processing it together. But in amongst that, also discovering the presence and provision of God it, regularly throughout my childhood. And I can see looking back how many times God was with us. Um, and there's one occasion um, where, where I look back and uh, I just started school. So I was in primary one at school and um, it's quite obvious with when a young kid doesn't have a dad and it usually ends up becoming a question that, that's, that's brought up by other kids, not intending to be mean. But I remember being asked it regularly. And at the time, because so much of my story was tied up, not just in losing my dad, but also in the way that God had been in our lives that I'd encountered him as a very young boy. Um, I would just tell some of my story. I'd talk about the fact that I'd met Jesus <laughs> as well as not having a dad. And 
one of my teacher in primary one happened to overhear me as I was talking about my, some of my story. And it turns out that she was a Christian. And at the time, my mum was trying to find a church because we'd all had this kind of whirlwind encounter with God that had drawn us to faith, and we didn't know what to, my mum didn't know what to do with it. And we hadn't found a church yet because she was a single mum with two young kids, and that's quite a challenging thing to do. But my teacher decided to try and just ensure that we ended up at church. So she invited us to hers. She brought us along with her. And it became our home. It became the place that I grew up, the place that was my family throughout my childhood and teenage years. That was completely God's provision in the form of a primary one teacher. <laughs> God is a God of provision. And it's not often in the really demonstrative ways, but it is when we start. He's there when we start to look for him. So God provides, he brings comfort. And then lastly, there's a refrain at the end of this passage in Isaiah, which speaks to how much Jesus honors and cares for us when we find ourselves in places of grief and suffering. Uh, so let me just read out again. And Sarah actually was singing over us earlier as well. It says that Jesus wants to bestow on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So to those of us who are grieving, he gives us three things. A crown, he pours oil on our heads, and a garment around our shoulders. So what's the significance of each of those things? Well, they're the anointing of royalty. <laughs> when we feel at our lowest, Jesus is right there with us, sitting with us, telling us how much we're worth, telling you how much he cares for you, how much he loves you, the value that you have in him. And yes, this passage does also offer a promise that one day we will see a transfer happen where we might experience ashes right now. We will know beauty. Where we experience mourning, we will know joy. And when we experience despair, we will know what it means to praise God. But while we're in this middle ground, while we still know darkness around us, this message of Christmas is and can be our sustenance. Because... Christmas is a reminder that even when all circumstances might suggest the opposite, it's still true that God is with us. It's still true that Jesus is working. Jesus is still comforting, providing, and telling us how much he cares for us in that place. So just as I close and I pray, I, I just wonder that, that Jesus might want to, to do some of that tonight with us. Uh, in a moment, Naomi's going to come and lead us in a response. Uh, but let me just, before, we, before she does, let me just pray for us and leave a little bit of silence as we have had already tonight. Um, and just invite God to do some of that work. If there's some of that you feel like you know that you need. Yeah, together, God, we say that we know that we need you. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you for this, what we read about tonight, what we see promised in Scripture about who you are and how you respond to us in a place of mourning. And so this moment, God, we invite you to do that work in us. Would we know your strengthening? Would we see you providing for us in the ways that you have been providing for us even in the last few days and weeks? Would you bring those things to mind? Would you show us what you've been doing even when we haven't been able to see it?
God, would you show us how much that you love us again? How much we're worth to you?